you know, our opinion is, um, you know, that this didn't impact the game. I, I didn't say it didn't impact the game. Well, Flip, that was Astros owner Jim Crane on Thursday during the press conference where I can only assume they hope to put this whole sign-stealing saga behind them, but I think they really made it worse, right? They totally made it worse. Uh, if that was an apology, I'm sorry. Somewhere in there, I'm lost. I, I did. I got out of that a lot of arrogance is what I got. I got the same thing, and what hurts even more is they had three months to come up with their apology, and that was the best they could do. You, you three know, months. You know the best defense is the truth. Why don't you just say whatever it is that happened, just say it happened, and let's get this uh, – try to get it behind you because once you tell the truth – you can get it behind you. It's all this uh, this obfuscation, if you will, that's going on. And I, you know, look. I mean, uh, the players are starting to get outraged now. I mean, there's all this comments across, you know, the the baseball world and the sports world. And this has become all anybody wants to talk about is this story now. And and all they're doing is giving it legs by not really getting to the essence of what happened. I think that they were probably better off if they just didn't say anything at all. Well, as opposed to what they just said, yeah. which was nothing. <laughs> Again, what was his arrogance? It was a, a, a string of arrogant comments. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And it was robotic. It felt like they were just memorized lines, cranes reading from a piece of paper. They're not sorry. They're sorry they got caught. Uh, totally. And there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. There's a huge, I mean, I said this from the beginning. I am sorry. I'm going to say this again and again and again and again. The they need to strip them of this title. Okay, let's get this over with and be done with it. For the specter of history, it should read the teams that win. When you go back in history and you see all the teams that have won in the history of baseball and you get to you get to 2006, uh, 2017, it says Houston Astros, they do not deserve that same place of honor that all those other teams did who hopefully have done this the right way and not cheated, okay? If they've done it the right way, they deserve their place in history and the honor that comes with it. This team does not deserve it. They do not deserve it. What they did was horrible. It's a stigma on the game. The game is it's awful. It needs to be. It, I don't know how you get past this. The only way to get past this is to tell the truth, get everything out in the open, and start again. The game is a great game. It's a great game, and it's being battered to pieces right now. The only one, I think, who actually came out, if you can, looking good in this is Carlos Correa. He seemed apologetic. I don't know if it. he, he seemed so good because next to them he seemed good. Because they seemed awful, well, Altuve and Bregman. You know, but they're they're all guilty. I mean, it's like so he he's, he's he comes out and he's a little more polished about it. He's a little bit more he acknowledged it to some level, you know, which a lot of these guys have not done. I mean, they're, they're, I know a lot of them testified with immunity, et cetera, et cetera. I get it, I understand it, but I'll tell you what, this thing is terrible. And again, the reaction across the world of baseball is just it's just incredible. Everywhere you go, anywhere you go, all people are talking about is this. And this didn't. And what happened just now was just is going to make it worse. It doesn't make it better. When you're not accountable for something, how does it? How do you make the situation better? Right. This, I mean, the the, the cover up is, is is usually worse than the lie. I mean, this is incredible. Well, apparently Jim Crane, the rumor is hired a PR firm, a crisis PR firm for this. Yeah, he needs one. I don't know which he PR needs, firm he, needs, he hired. Yeah, he needs more than one. He needs another one for sure. I want to do. Uh, I want to dissect a few of his comments because uh, Twitter's actually talking a lot about this. I want to get your opinion. First, Jim Crane said this: "The Yankees have had a few comments out there. Our opinion is that this did not impact the game. We had a good team, 
We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that during his apology. I mean, is, is that not hubris to the 19th <laughs> degree? I mean, seriously? I mean, I, I, don't get me more worked up than I'm already worked up. I'm gonna. I'm I gonna. Mean, I got come a few on more here. here. Oh, go All ahead. Right. Our, again, our opinion is that it didn't impact the game. Okay, in my opinion, then, if it didn't impact the game, why'd you do it? It told. I mean, what, I mean, uh, no, we it, we didn't we didn't cheat. We just we just took advantage of a situation. Excuse me. Excuse <laughs> me. Wait a minute. We didn't cheat. We just took advantage of a situation. What what does that mean? It means it means you cheated. I mean, you took advantage of a situation. What, what situation you created? That's not cheating. That's cheating. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm lost here. This is ridiculous. And if he says it didn't impact the game, why are you apologizing? Right? Uh, we we could do this forever. We're okay? gonna. Uh, well, I you know, know you have somewhere to be. Uh, no, well I do, but you know what? The the, the game, this, everywhere they go, this team, that's all they're gonna hear. The, it's it, 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 not just this year. It may go on for, for years. I have no idea. But certainly this year. And I'll tell you what, boy. I'll tell you that those games in Yankee Stadium. Ah, oh, well, that's that's going to be. <laughs> I'm not put, putting pl- pr- promos and plugs in here, but I'll tell you what. Though that's a must see scenario. But it's it's going to it's going to hit a boiling point long before they, they get to Yankee Stadium because every team in baseball feels that some level that. It happened in the regular season, happened in the postseason, happened against many opponents. And, you know, I mean, if you're judged now, and I'll, I mean, Altuve, he got the MVP, really? Now, you judge deserved it. I mean, Altuve narrowly won anyway. And if he cheated, which apparently he did, so what, the MVP should go to. I mean, this is just the, 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 the fallout from this is the never ending on a million levels. Cody Bellinger actually tweeted the same thing, saying the uh, MVP, he stole the MVP from Judge. Um, which, you know, that's that what-if game. We'll never know. Um, but as a Yankees fan, yes, I agree. More Jim Crane here. This is a quote. I don't think I should be held accountable. Jim Crane said that in his apology. That's the owner. That's the owner. Right. So who's accountable then? Right. And, he, oh, sorry, go ahead. He, and what he, he didn't know, he, right? Is yeah, that yeah, the next yeah. Thing? Yeah, okay. Checks in the mail. But then he fired a guy who said he didn't know, and Jeff Luno. So how come Luno, who didn't supposedly know, is fired, but he shouldn't be held accountable. The executive, the owner of the organization, don't tell me you are not accountable for this. I mean, it's his team he's accountable. He owns the team. You're going to tell me the owner of the team didn't know what's going on? Is that possible? I suppose, but you know what? Then, then you're a bad owner. Right. If you don't know what's going on, then I'm sorry. You, you, you've been uh, negligent as far as I'm concerned. Negligent. And there's and, been stories of this since 2018. I, of course. If I know something's going on, how does he not know? You gotta listen to me. When I tell you something, you gotta listen to me. Okay, I, 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 I am. I, I, we, like I said, look. What has to happen here is there has to be a cleansing. Okay, a total cleansing, and and all this has to be addressed, brought out in public, and whatever, wherever it goes, it goes. But it needs to be. It needs to stop, and it needs to be fixed. And they need to cleanse it, and they need to put the right. I, I know this isn't done yet. There's more to come. There is. And whatever more to come is, I hope the penalties fit the crime. That's all I could say. Because, you know, I mean, I, I'm a big support. I mean, I, I'm, I thought Man, Rob Manfred did a really good job. I know a lot of people didn't. I did. I thought he did a good job. I thought this is a really hard situation to police and to come up with the right sort of punishment for the crime, if you will. And uh, I thought he did a good job. But, but again, this thing has so many legs now. I mean, it's interesting to see what he does going forward. And... Uh, you see, you see Beltron. I mean, we, t- we talked about yeah. that, that he was in the middle of this. Yep, was 
Yeah. He's the architect. Him and Carl were architects. The Godfather. One line, one line in this report, one line. And that smoke signal was really loud in that one line. It was like, there's a lot going on here. I mean, I told you that that day. Yeah. I said, there's a lot going on here. That's a smoke signal for something. I the don't only know. player entry. The only player. I mean, that's got to mean something. And apparently it did. When all this, now that all this has come out. War has come out on him. I want to do one more quote, and sure. then we'll move on. Sure. This is Jim Crane, Astro's owner, yesterday during the apology. I think I've done just about everything I can. To wreck the game. <laughs> yeah. Is that where we're going with this? Yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to buzzers? Sure, why not? We'll graduate. More technology. <laughs> All right, so yesterday, obviously, Astro players have denied the use of buzzers. Um, given their history, one, should we believe them? And two, I want to get your comments. Trevor Bauer says he knows from multiple sources that they have been using electronic devices. I don't doubt it at all. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i give you an example that just – what is common, just common sense sometimes is, is the – is the determinant, okay? Uh, common sense. Altuve hits a home run that puts them in the World Series, puts the Astros in the World Series. I mean, every kid dreams of that at bat. Every kid dreams of hitting that home run. Every kid dreams of running around the bases. In that great moment, it actually happens, okay, and although it wasn't clean the way it happened, but that's another story. He's going around the bases, and all he's doing is protecting his shirt. Because his wife told him, if they rip your shirt, I don't want to see you without a shirt. Now, okay, so maybe he, he might be a sit-up short somewhere. I don't really know. But I will tell you this. The fact that and that's all he did. When you see him coming around, phone plate, he's got his arms crossed. He's telling him, don't take my shirt off. Don't take my shirt off. What does that mean? It's, no, I don't think it's, it's, it's his wife scolding him that the shirt shouldn't come off. Something was there. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for it to be something else. Could it have been something? Else? Could we be all wrong on this? It's possible. MLB took a look at this, a look at, it, and they said no, there was no electronic devices involved. Okay, you know, I, I, I've got to believe that, but my eyes told me something different. The smirk of Chapman. I said this a hundred times. I really can't wait to get the spring train to actually go talk to him through an interpreter and have him say something to me. I really want to know what that smirk was. You know what it was. I know what it yeah, was. He, he was, was looking at Altuve and said, you know, you got our signs and you hit a home run. That's what it was. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, that's what I believe it was, okay? A lot of this, we're alleged, we're opinion. It's, we have opinions, okay? I, the baseball has said that he didn't have a buzzer. Okay, I, I love Major League Baseball, so I guess I'm supposed to say, okay, this is all fine. You know what? I, it, but my eyes tell me something different. That's all I'm saying here. And I'm not alone. This, I mean, this is oh, this is this is global now. This is a global story. Everywhere you go, they want to talk about this. Did you hear about uh, Gary Sanchez's reply from earlier in the week? I can't wait. What it was that? It was great about uh, Altuve not wanting his shirt ripped off. He says, "I could tell you that if I hit a homer and I got my team to the World Series." They could rip off my pants. They could rip <laughs> off everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, again, the excitement of the moment, being in the moment, that great moment everybody dreams of. It's like, of course he's going to be, and he should be, but no, but he wasn't. That should tell you something. What do your eyes tell you, folks? Yep. You know, I'm not out to indict a guy. I mean, he, he succeeded in the big leagues beyond beyond anyone's expectations. I mean, he's a great player. He's not a good player. He's a great player. I w- two guys I would never let beat me in that lineup were George Springer and Jose Altuve. Okay, I would not pitch those guys. I would never let them beat me. I mean, that's how good a player he really is. Okay, but this is goes. This is this is just it's cheating. And it's called what it is. They cheated. They cheated. They cheated, and they have to live with this. They have to live with this for the rest of their careers, lives. 
So, uh, obviously, the Yankees kind of weaves into this storyline nicely, and one of the Yankees is Garrett Cole. Um, how do you think this impacts Garrett Cole's transition to the Yankees? Uh, we should be clear, though, Cole was not on the Astros in 2017. Right. So, I mean, so he's not there. So, I mean, it's, it's unfair of him to sort of comment about something that he wasn't involved in. He wasn't there. Right. You know, I... I, I Look, I mean, the players, There are. there's going to be levels of culpability here for the players. Certain p- players are obviously very culpable and very and, and should be should bear some wrath, okay? But, I mean, that's not everybody. I, I don't know the level of, of – I'm sure there were players that didn't want to be involved in this, but they had to because players above them in rank in the clubhouse said, we're going to do it, and, and they felt peer pressure to do it. You know, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to be a major leaguer, and and you know, sort of look some, some cases look at your idols. Some of these players are idols to other people, and say like, "Well, my idol is doing it," like, and I would feel fun. I guess I have to do it. I don't I don't want to be the guy that doesn't do it, you know. And and that's you know I don't know that goes to upbringing and whatever. I know that I'm not holier than now, but I know uh, I was raised a certain way, and, and right and wrong matter to me. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter to them. I'm just saying that it's a tough thing when you put in that situation. So who knows? Let me ask you something. Uh, I know it's not apples to apples, and I'm getting decades ahead of myself, but I like to compare this, obviously, if you listen to the show, to the Pete Rose scandal. Uh, Other people, like, recently are comparing it to the PED scandal, and as a result of that scandal, you have people like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds who are not in the Hall of Fame. Does this impact Bregman, Altuve, anybody else who should be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Wow. Totally. Yeah. I have a Beltran. Yeah, hey Beltron. Beltron was a borderline Hall of Famer. He had a lot. Look at his creds. I mean, he's got strong credentials. You know what? But part it's going to go. But now character enters into it because that's one of the credentials. And guess what, folks? Uh, yeah. He didn't tell the truth about this. Yeah, and he was one of the ringleaders of it. So how is that going to? I mean, and 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 he's going to be up pretty soon. They'll put him on the ballot, and uh, and you know what? I I think his support will really wane. I mean, it it has to. I would think, but. Yeah, you know. yeah, it has to. All right, I want to switch over to the Yankees, some non-scandal stuff. Real quick, I'm going to throw some questions at you. You give me the answers. Some some of this is a little early, but I want to know first, Yankees break camp. Who's the number five starter? Wow. Hap? Montgomery? Hap's four, right? Well, let's see. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do this exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cole carried a one. Remember, carried a one. We got like We got Cole. We got Severino. Right. So it's two. You got Paxton three. You Paxton's got Tanaka. Out. Tanaka. Oh, right. Paxton's hurt. You're right. I'm sorry about that. That's my bad. Uh, you got Tanaka. Uh, right. So everybody moves up a slot. So I right. guess Hap uh, right four. now would be four. So right now, you know, the Yanks have a lot of young talent though in camp. So right now, I would say the placeholder is Montgomery. But right. But I don't know if that's where they go. Right. They may not go there. It depends on who who comes out of camp. I mean, they got a lot of young pitching. Seves, they had Garcia. They got young talent, that, you know, in the in their system. So we'll see who comes out of it. But uh, maybe one of the younger younger pitchers has a shot at this. Yeah. No need to rush Garcia, in my opinion. I like Montgomery. But um, suppose he has a great camp. When you say rush him, he might be ready. You you know, he's he's really on a fast track. That kid. Yes. Suppose he has a great camp. Okay. You're gonna say he had a great. Uh, I, I don't want to rush him. He had a great camp. But you know, maybe, and you know, you'll send them out because of the super twos. You, like, you don't want to. You want to have that year, next year, yeah, yeah, eligibility, yeah. right? So I know it's, a, it's a dumb rule, and they'll address it in the next collective bargaining, I'm sure. 
uh, although they should have dressed in the last collective bargaining and yeah. didn't, but whatever. Uh, so they may, they may, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, there's a lot, well, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but but I would say that they got a lot of young talent, so they might go there. Although Montgomery's a nice pitcher, he's a nice solid pitcher. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. I mean, he, he should be the heir apparent right now. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Over there. Uh, question number three yeah. Will Miguel Andujar be in the lineup on opening day? Yes. Yes, right? Yes. I believe yes. I have him at DH, the Pistanton and left. Yes. Yes. I would go there, too. I believe that. And the one we keep talking about, only because there's not a ton of storylines here because the Yankees have such a stacked team, who is the backup catcher when they break camp? I mean, I like Higashioka. I do. I mean, he's he doesn't hit for average. He hits for power, though. He hits the ball. It's a home run. Um, he hits for power. He's a great framer. I mean, the Yankees have him rated as defensive as a solid defensive catcher. He really excels at framing, getting balls and you know pulling them back and framing them so that borderline pitches become strikes, things like that. He's really good at that. I, I and plus he understands the Yankees. He's part of their culture. He's been there a couple of years now. I'm going with him right now. I mean, there are other people who can't be right, and he could lose his job. But if it has goes over the camp, he may lose the gig. Right now, I'd say he's the guy. Right, and he's out of options, I believe. Which right, which forces the Yankees. Him, yeah. Exactly. Rate, review, subscribe. That is really the way you could help us the best. Um, please, five-star ratings. Tell us how you feel about us in the comments section. And tell your friends, please. Uh, we're trying to get the word out. I think we're doing well. We're getting a lot of good comments, Flip. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, our followers, our, our viewers, our viewers, we don't have viewers. Our listeners have been great. They're, they're terrific. And uh um, they write the nicest things about us, so thank you for your, your generosity, kindness, and also for supporting us because we need the. That's how we stay and we do this, and, we, and we're we're doing quite well. So thank you very much. And the good news is for our listeners, the show is about to get infinitely better. Oh, because we have Ted Shaker. We did not talk about Ted Shaker. Oh, we're going to talk to Ted Shaker, but that's not why the show is um, getting infinitely better. Jason Marshall's leaving. Leaving, yes. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Jason's leaving. The show is going to get better. Our uh, quasi producer Jason Marshall is leaving. He's great at a quasi-producer. Producer, eh. He couldn't produce an opening at a Grand Union. No, he All right? I mean, there's no Grand Union's name. It's ShopRite. Let's go with ShopRite. But I will tell you this. He, he, his personality, his dedication to, to the show, and also to the people around it, make him stand out. He's a terrific person. And I was speaking in my office yesterday about him because he was leaving and he was telling me why. And I, I got emotional. I mean, I really like him. He's a good guy. He works really hard. He cares about people, and uh, my hat is off to him. He's, you know, you, we talked about, we will talk about with Ted Shaker about being on the shoulders of others because that's sometimes great people have people around them who are great. They need that, and he has been that to us. He's been that to the company. He's been here a long time. We will miss him very much. He will always be part of yes, and uh, you know, all right. So he's not. We call him a producer. He can, like I said, he's not a producer. But what? But he's got he's got a great mind, and he's funny, and he's smart, and he knows us, and he knows how to put us in the right mood to do this show. So my hat is off to him. A lot of respect for him, and I wish him the, nothing but great things. My favorite thing about Jason Marshall is that he's already picked up a mic and turned it on, and assumes that we want to talk to him. It's incredible, I, isn't it? I know you, you were saying heartfelt things, <laughs> yeah. But the kid picked up the mic. And thinks I, we want to talk I, to him. I, I, I got to be honest. I was I was getting yeah. ready to get uh, crushed just now, but uh, um, I, you know, my eyes welled up just now. And flip, I gotta say, uh, it's been again, it's been an honor watching you operate in building one of the best networks uh, in the country, and or the best network in the country, and watching you operate, and just the reverence that 
everybody in the industry has for you. And it was my honor and pleasure to just sit here and take all of those fastballs to the chin that you used to throw at me. But uh, I, I'm really humbled and honored. I thank you. And Kevin's okay, too. I'm okay. But, yeah. Hey, all right. All joking aside, the truth is we couldn't do this without Jason. He's the one who set up this entire room. So thank you for that, Jason. Um, and you know this isn't goodbye. You have a friend for life in me. Um, so we'll be talking. It's really goodbye for me. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still love you. And uh, no, you, you know you can always you know, find us, and we love you. Thank you. I love you, too. Okay. So, uh, who's I'm emotional now. I'm not more emotional. I'm having to do the rest of the show. I'm yeah. You killed me here. You need a tissue? Yeah. You got some tears? Yeah, okay. No? <laughs> it's like a carried away here. <laughs> okay. All right, who do we have? Ted Shaker coming up. I love Ted Shaker. Uh, Ted Shaker is, is, uh, is a real force in this business for many, 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 still is actually. He's uh, done so many things. He was uh, executive producer of the NFL today. I mean, that was just an institution. Uh, he's got Emmy Awards. He's got Peabody Awards. He's very much a social advocate. Uh, he really is. And uh, I, I admire him for all the work that he's done for people who are disenfranchised. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to call CNBC disenfranchised. They start, help start CNBC. Um, he's, you know, he's had his own, he has his own company, which is thriving and doing well. He's done so many great things in the business, so many sporting, but the most, some of the most memorable sporting events, some of the most memorable personalities in history. So it's, I'm really thrilled to have him as a guest. And uh, all right, here's Ted Shaker, and, and this was uh, uh, something that I'm really looking forward to. So here we go, three, two, one, and go to Teddy. February 22nd at Steinbrenner Field. It's time for the first pitch. Swing and a miss. It's time for the first swing. Another home run for Aaron Judge. It's time. We need to win a world championship. For Yankees baseball. Catch the spring season opener February 22nd at 1 right here on Yes. Welcome back to Curtain Call. John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, at this point, though, we've kind of recused uh, Kevin Sullivan from this. Uh, because I want to have the pleasure of introducing someone I've known for a really, really long time. He's one of the top people in, in media. And we promised when we started the curtain call that we would be something beyond athletes. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not impugning his athletic ability when I say this, but he's something beyond an athlete. He's different from an athlete. He's one of the movers and shakers, literally, in, in the world of media. Uh, 13 Emmy Awards, two Peabody's, 10 years. Listen, 10 years, the executive producer of CBS Sports. That, that alone... Get you into the TV Hall of Fame. Uh, helped start CNBC. He was the EP for 30 for 30 of the Mike of the Mad Dog. He's got a doctorate uh, at Humane Letters from Coker College. And he's one of the top consultants now in the media business. His name is Ted Shaker, a longtime friend, and I welcome the curtain call. Hello, Ted. How are you? Fine. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm flattered that you, you'd invite me to come on. Well, like I said in the introduction, we promised our, our listeners that we would do we would do media, and what better person to go to in media than you? Like I said, you're one of the top people there, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So I have, let's start with a couple of things here. Um, what have? Let me see. Well, I'll ask you this. It's an easy question. We'll start with this. How did you get in the business, and why did you get in the business? You know, it was uh, kind of the weirdness of, of uh, childhood. Uh, my father... Uh, was a salesman in the television business. And uh, when I was six years old, he was a uh, sales manager for the CBS affiliate station in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he would go in on Saturday uh, to the office, and he'd take me with him. And they did a lot of local uh, 
kids programming mm-hmm. then. And so what he would do is when he'd go to his office on Saturday morning, he'd put me in their studio, and I would sit there and watch these uh, kids' uh, uh, Saturday morning programs that were produced, produced there at that station. And so I'm like six years old, I'm going, wow, <laughs> right. I want to do this. Right. And, um, and so I was fortunate at an early age to, to see that I'd like to do something for an audience. And that could be in a lot of different forms. That could be TV, that could be film, that could be radio, um, that could be live theater. So and, this got in your so, bloodstream. So this got in your bloodstream very early, Teddy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, mean I was lucky. Yeah, I, I knew this is something I wanted to do, and that's part. We get so many, so many people will write us. How do you get into business? You know, I, I, I'm fascinated by television or radio, the medium. I, I just want to get in. How do you get in? And you know, there's so many. All of us have a different story. We all got into business a different way. Yep. Uh, the thing that we share is, is a passion. I mean, to, to be successful yep. on any level in our business, you have to have passion. Passion, you know, take that passion and find purpose that we always talk about, right? So, yeah, if you, ha- you have a passion, you found purpose for it. Yeah, I, I, I did. And so, after I graduated from college, uh, I, I I decided to, to come to New York and try to. You know, actually, I wanted to be a, a comedy writer and <laughs> actor, uh-huh. but uh, basically, you know, that doesn't pay very well. No. So I, I, I worked on getting a job, uh, you know, in the business. And I got a job at CBS uh, at their uh, broadcast center on the west side of Manhattan. And I was a clerk in the videotape vault of the basement of the CBS broadcast center. The only people I knew in the company were the custodians because they were the only other people in the basement with us. Um, and so I was carrying around videotapes and stuff like that. After four or five months, I got a, a promotion to become the shipping clerk mm-hmm. in the videotape vault. And um, from there, <laughs> I, I uh, finally uh, got a break to, to work as a clerk on a kids' news show called In the News. Mm-hmm. And basically, I carried around videotape and film stuff like that for them. And... So you're taking the climb. You're taking huh? the you're climbing the ladder here. It's I'm climbing it's the a ladder. Steady climb. And, and basically, um, I, I you know I had no journalism experience. I had no I didn't have journalism classes in college. But I decided the way I could probably work my way into this group is if I read every newspaper I could and every magazine I could, and become as well um, informed as possible so I could sit there and offer ideas and that's what I did and then they made me an associate producer and I learned how to write uh, scripts uh, about stories for uh, the young audience watching kids news uh, uh, watching kids uh, cartoons on Saturday mornings and that's where I learned how to tell stories which, which is so important in our business Teddy it's you know it's about we uh, we chronicle stories we yeah. tell stories that's what uh, that's really what we do and it's an oh. art and it's it's an art that has to be cultivated over sometimes over a long period of time and you might get to a point but that needs to be refined and and it's really a process but once you once you've mastered it I mean, yeah. it's the thing that you need in our business to, su- to succeed. It's the ability to tell stories. I mean, and so, okay, so you're, you're, still, you're taking that steady climb. So how does one take that climb from, from the shows you were working on and the uh, prep that you were doing to become executive producer of CBS Sports? How does that, exactly did that happen? I know there were a lot of journeys along the way, but give me one seminal moment that got you to that position. 
gosh. That's what, you know, the bottom line is uh, that I, I, it took me a year and a half to get to CBS Sports from CBS News, mm-hmm. but I kept pushing at it. Uh, Barry Frank hired me there. Um, he actually gave me a test, uh, uh, you know, of my knowledge of sports, which mm-hmm. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I was never good in school. But anyway, so, uh, you know, um, I started there as an associate producer, and I just took what I had learned at CBS News and applied it to sports. And back in the day, we're talking, you know, in an earlier century, mm-hmm. um, there was... <laughs> You know, there, there there weren't many people that had that kind of training there. And so I was able to uh, glom on to, I became the associate producer of the NFL Today. And then after after two years, the producer, Mike Pearl, left for ABC. And so they gave me that job. And that was how everything took off. Uh, and, and I learned how to... Uh, kind of master the art of studio television and um, competed with you tooth and nail when you were when you were at uh, NBC doing yeah. NFL Live. Yes, we, we and, were competitors. And we you sure and were. I were like, I mean... Cat, we, cats and dogs. It was a little oh, bit like the, the Hatfields of the McCoys. It was uh, the best. It was. I mean, at the time, I don't. I look back on it. I, you know, it's fun. It makes me laugh. I really laugh now about it all. But the, yeah. and, and when we were in the middle of it, we were in the vortex of it. I mean, there's a lot of mudslinging that went on. You have to, right. people who probably don't know what we're talking about. So let's give a little background about right. that. We, uh, we, uh, I did the studio show for NBC, which had Bob Costas and Ahmad Rashad, yep. and, and Teddy was doing this institution called the NFL Today with Fred Musburger and Phyllis George and Irv Cross, and that really was an institution. Jimmy the Greek. Jimmy the Greek. Can't forget Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> Yeah, but he threatened to kill me one day, Jimmy Degree. I'll tell you that story later. Um, oh, he actually did. He said, I'm going to kill you, he said to me. And I'm dead. I believe so it. He said, I hey, hate you. You've been giving me a hard time. I'm going to kill you. He actually said that to me. He was like, okay. Oh, my All right. God. You know, I've got, I, got, I got to go to men's room first, and then, then we'll figure it out. Uh, but but anyway, so let's get back to this. Uh, the NFL today was an institution. It, it truly yeah. was. And so you, you get into this. And you, now you're the gatekeeper of this incredible show with this incredible history. Yeah. And, you know, this is this is your big thing right now. I mean, yeah. and so, I mean, you, when you're in a situation like that, do you do you say, I want to put my mark on this? I want to change it. Are there things I'd like to see done so I move it? Or do you say it's an institution? It just shines the way it is. I'm not going to try to take it someplace and probably and, and maybe mess the whole thing up. And what, what's your mindset? When you, when can you run I, can I give you an anecdote that, sure. I, that I've used in my life since I heard this? Um, I, I would, so, okay, so now I am the executive producer of CBS Sports. Uh, it, I'm at Masters at Augusta in, in uh, April, and um, I'm talking on the phone with John Madden, who's our lead analyst and you know, one of the greatest communicators in the history of the medium. And um, we're talking about how we want to try to make next season's NFL better. And so John tells me this story. He said, you know, you know, he said, there's no such thing as status quo. John said, either you are always pushing forward, you're always trying to make it better, you're always tweaking, you're always finding, you know, where weak spots are and you try to right them. You're always trying to get better. Uh, and if you if you are someone that basically says it's as good as it's going to get, let's just keep going with what we have right now. He said there is no such thing as staying right where you are. He said either mm-hmm. you're going forward or you slide backward if you're not always trying to make it better. 
Good so answer. That's what, that's what I brought to everything I tried, I've tried to work on since. There's, you know, status quo is, is uh, death. And, and so um, I always tried the NFL today or whatever I was working on to try to find ways to make it better every year and, uh, you know, every week, every season. Redefine it. I mean, we, we, we were both producers, I mean, working for different networks and working yep. on basically the same show. Uh, yep. But, and you know, it's interesting because I had the, sort of the same take on it. I, You know, I, I didn't like status quo. Um, when yep. I got the show, I didn't really like it that much. I, I said there's a lot of things we can improve on. Sure. So we went out to try and make those improvements. And, you know, because, you know, you put yourself and you say, what, what does the audience want to see? What do you think they want to see? Right. And what people, I think, forget, I mean, because I, I was really big, Teddy, you know this, I was really big on entertainment in these shows. Totally. It was like uh, people sit here now and, uh, you know, the Chris Bermans and the ESPNs, and, and it's fine. And, and, and you, know, we, you know, we have fun. We do this. We do that. Yeah. The, the, the NBA studio at the, you know, comes to mind to the, the, the yep. uh down in atlanta what they do in the basketball so yep. i mean it's fun it's it's live charles barkley's where i was going i couldn't remember the name sorry yep. uh, you get to 68 you forget names uh but <laughs> i uh they're fun they're great shows but you know I, 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 we did that a long time ago i mean we we believed yeah. in entertainment the greek was entertaining i mean you, you yeah. made it entertaining god knows we made it as entertaining beyond entertaining yeah. Sometimes too entertaining. I think you know. I had one executive tell me one day. He says, "This is the this is the best show we have next to Saturday Night Live." He didn't wow. say. He didn't say no. What he didn't say it was a good football show, Teddy. He said it was a, an entertaining show. Well, that's that's <laughs> a compliment. You know, I, I suppose. I mean, I, 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 you know, sometimes like we were talking about before, and this is really, really about you and not about me. We got, we got to get back to you. The, uh, no, we're, okay. we're in the, we're in the vortex of all that, and it's crazy. I mean, you, people just well, have no idea that those shows were really big back in the day. Yeah. They got a lot of scrutiny. They were yeah. pre- there was a, like Rudy Martsky was the columnist for the USA Today. And he would sort of, you know, praise one or damn one and go back and forth. And those praises were worth a lot because the people in the, our business, unfortunately, a lot of them take, form their opinions after they would see something. Something was yeah. written, right? So yeah. if you got a nice write-up, you were great for a week and it'd be panty for whatever reason. Then, <laughs> until the next one. Until the next one. So <laughs> it was, didn't we live like that, Teddy? It was like a, totally a, right. a column to column sometimes. Absolutely true. I mean, it, it was um, a way to... Uh, the ratings of these pregame shows, just to kind of put it in context, um, I think we were doing six, seven uh, million viewers uh, every Sunday. Um, now, right now, that's probably close to a top ten primetime show. Um, right. it, it, it's, a, it's amazing how many people watched the work we did way back when, and it was... Uh, it was something that was unique, and I'm not sure we'll ever see anything quite like that again. And and and, and you were and you shepherded and you advanced it, and that's that's, right. that's a great that's a great credit to you. And that's right. So we had good people. We had a lot of good people working. Well, you know, you, anywhere you get, you know, you get on the shoulders of the, the people who work with you. I mean, totally. I mean, my, the people who've worked for me over the years. I mean, they're so stooped over from the weight that I put on them. It's like <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, but but they are totally loyal to you because you stand for something that you know they all want, which is excellent. Um, that's not always the case. Anymore. Well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that's that. true. But 
Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but okay, so as now, what now? You're in charge of CBS Sports. I mean, it wasn't just the NFL. I mean, it's the NBA. It later became yeah. Major League Baseball. It's NCAA, you know, sports. Yeah. I mean, there was there's a lot going on there. There just was. It was nuts. Oh, it's totally nuts. And 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 every and, and the questions that had to come your way. I know the questions that come my way. I can only imagine the questions that must have come your way. I mean, so so what would you say in, in the aggregates? Ten years you had the job there. That's a that's a long time, by the way. That's quite the run. And and yeah. by the way, I just have to throw this as an aside before I ask this question. So I'll make this short. Every year we get a ballot. I get a ballot from the SVG you know, Hall of Fame people, right? And your name has been on the last year or two. <laughs> and I'll tell you the first thing I do. I mean this from my mind. I check that oh. box as you. Because I know what you did, I know how you did it. You're so kind. And, well, no, it's it's beyond kindness, Teddy. There's there's kindness, there's acts of charity, and then there's reality when somebody deserves <laughs> it, and you deserve it. I mean, you your work that you did uh, advanced the business. You were credit to it. You know, I know I had to compete against you, so I know what a competitor you were. <laughs> I really do, and I, I I now I tip my hat to you. Then I wanted to like kill you with Jimmy the oh. Greek, but uh, <laughs> so that's another long story. But the uh, but uh, you know we look at it now finally all these years later. Really, and, and you and you can, now you can look at it through the context of, of time, you know, through the prism of yeah. time. And you could look at it now, and it's it's much more objective about it. I'm much more objective about all those yeah. things. When, yeah. when I was in the middle of it, not, not so much. Yeah. But now you're objective, right? So so tell me in those 10 years, besides all that was on your plate, all that you had to do, what was the biggest challenge? Give me one, give me your seminal challenge from those 10 years. What was the biggest thing that you faced, biggest obstacle you had to overcome? Well, the thing that was interesting, Flip, is... is um, and this was Neil Pilsen. Uh, who was the president of CBS Sports. Who was president of CBS Sports and kept acquiring all these events. And so uh, by the time we got to 1990, a guy named George Schweitzer, who was a longtime head of marketing for CBS, said CBS Sports has virtually all the major events uh, during the course of the year from, as you said, you know, the NFL to uh, the NBA to uh, Major League Baseball, to the NCAA Tournament, to college football, to the PGA Tour. Um, and, and basically, there was no stop. It went from one major event to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And so that was the big challenge, was to try to stay ahead of what's coming next, if you follow what I mean. Mm -hmm. So while we're in the middle of the NFL season, I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do for the NCAA tournament, for the NBA regular season. Then after that, it's going to be baseball. I mean, it, so it was never ending. That was the biggest challenge, was always trying to be ahead of the curve on what's coming next, while at the same time trying to make sure that what we're doing right now is what we all want it to be. And um, after a number of years, that was, uh, that really, uh, that was a, that was a major challenge and wore me out. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's also, it's, it's quite historic, actually, that's because of not only the length of time, but the number of events that you had to juggle, manage, and, you know, make sure that they were presented uh, properly. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's quite a technique. That's quite and a they're all high situation. profile. Absolutely. So, you know, if you mess up, you know, it's yeah. the Rudy Martskis of the world are <laughs> just jumping down your throat. So you, it's, you know it's what, never though, ending. Like, like, like people who are great at something, and I've said this before, um, 
the moment slows down for them. I really, I absolutely believe that. When you're in a situation that's like, uh, you, you go, do I go right? Do I go left? Do I go straight ahead? What do I do? Yeah. You know, the moment slows down for you, and you see things clearly, and you're able to make the the right decision. That's that's not easy to do, and it's yeah. a gift because I will tell you, I've been many many people who. The moment it became bigger than them, the moment swallowed them, and you, you know, yeah. you just had to stand. You had to be fortunate enough and have the talent enough, and in some cases, the guts enough to stand yeah. up for the moment and hope that you did the right thing, you know, by, did justice by the moment. You know, I, well, that's exactly what you did with yes. I mean, you created from a whole cloth a um, a network uh, built around uh, uh, you know the Yankee baseball. But Yankee baseball doesn't go 12 months a year, and you know, and a game doesn't go 24 hours. So you have to find all these other ways to create compelling content, and you and you did that, and that be, that's become the template for all regional sports networks in the country. You guys are the gold standard, and that's what you did. So, you know, my hats off to you, and 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 I appreciate your kind words about me. Well, now, now we. Well, that's very nice, to, and I appreciate that. And it's true. You, the one thing you said that was wrong. You said baseball games isn't it isn't twenty four hours. Oh, contraire! I've done baseball games that probably felt like they were twenty four hours. <laughs> I've done a few of those. But the yeah, thank you. But you know, look, uh, it's it, it's it's a very challenging business, and it's a very demanding business, and it does exact yeah. the toll, and it does exact. You know everything that you have. I mean, I I must tell you. I mean, I can't tell you. And I'm sure you felt the same way. How many events events I worked on when it was over? I didn't even. I forgot a one. I agree. <laughs> and the, it was just, I was so wiped out from just the intensity, the the, the focus, the, the the concentration that these things demand of you. you yeah. Know, you sit there and you've got. You know, I've done World Series at 27 tape machines. It's it's like yeah. Okay. You know, it's like it's challenging. I mean, it really totally. is. And and you know, and, and as someone who's the maestro of the orchestra, which you are, I mean, that you can't have a wrong note. I actually like that. I may use this again. I'm going to write this one down. I like this. The, the maestro of the orchestra. But that's what you know. are too, man. I mean, we're, uh, we're too grizzled, old, we are, veteran. We're all, are, you know. going old. We're going old. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, but you know what? We And there's a lot to look back on, a lot to be proud of, and a lot of wonderful totally. people. All right, so you worked with a lot of great people. I mean, let's let's yep. let's go there. Let's go there for a second. Um, of all the, like, if you said to me, and this is not about me, it's about you. Let's, I'll, I'll get, we'll get there for a second. <laughs> I'll bring me, it back to thank you. Thank you, because Go I gotta get, I gotta get through me to get to you here. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, if you asked me that question, I would say Costas, because I spent so many years with him. I did, uh, I did the baseball with him for many years. Uh, the backup game, it was actually a lot of fun on that game with Kubek. I love that. It was the most fun I may have had in yeah. this business. So I did that for many years, and then I got my promotion, if you will, to the Vince Scully Joe Garagiola game. It was oh, when I got to yeah. do the World Series which was awesome. I, I love that part of it, but I missed Costas Kubek. But anyway, I, I would say that Costas, for, for NFL Live, for the NBC Baseball that I did with him and other things, I would say that if I had to go back to one talent, yeah. I would, and I worked with a lot of great talent, so Dick Enberg, Brian Gumble, a lot of great people. Yeah. But I would say, honestly, just Costas because of the, the number of years, the number of events, and the high profile of all the events and the versatility of the events. Yeah. You know, I did basketball, I did all kinds of things, football with Bob, I did uh, yeah. lots of things. And, and I would say, so now you have this whole, this whole cacophony, for lack of a better, I know cacophony is not the word, but I'm gonna use it. This whole cacophony, I like that word, this whole yeah. cacophony of talent. I mean, it's incredible who's in their stable. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a who's who. 
Yeah. One, I want one. Give me oh, one. God. In a moment of, I got to get through this. I got to get through this hour. I don't have a teleprompter. I got to get somebody to get me through this and make yeah. sense of it. One person. Go. Wow. Uh, I, I think the most talented, versatile, um, smart, uh, I mean, it, it was Brent Musburger. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, I ended up being part of the group that let him go from CBS, and he hates my guts to this day. But there was no one that I worked with who had more. I mean, we would be doing a, you know, uh, one of those NFL half times where we go from one game to the next mm-hmm. to the next. Mm-hmm. I could talk to him in his ear while he was talking, and he would change on a dime and go in the direction. I mean, it was extraordinary. Um, so I think that he he might have been, may, may have been the most talented. I, I would, you know, Jim Nance uh, is an extraordinary talent. Mm-hmm. Sure, well, fame uh, talent. You know, uh, James Brown is a great talent. Greg Gumble is a great talent. We brought Pat O'Brien out of nowhere to come in and 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 do work that no one else done. Mary Carrillo is someone I'm so proud to be a part of. Leslie Visser was an absolute pioneer and so proud to be a I'm a big fan of her. yours. She is a huge advocate uh, for you in the Hall of Fame. She's a big oh, fan of yours and she, we've spoken well, many times best. about you. She's a great, great lady. So, I mean, I, I have been so fortunate to work with so many talented people and, you know, and, it, and as you know, it may better than me. It's a collaborative medium. You know, I've always thought, you know, you got a guy on a sideline with a parab microphone holding it out to get, you know, ambient sound from the, you know, from the field. And that guy's maybe being paid $100 a game. I don't know what what the what, what it would be today. But that guy, if he points his parab mic in the wrong direction and we pick up a bunch of, you know, really profane stuff from the bench, he can wreck your show. So it's it's from the person who's the play-by-play person to the person who's the producer to the people who are on the cameras to the people who are in, in graphics to the guy holding the prep. Everybody has to be on the same page. It has to be a collaborative effort to have a great show. So I think that's one of the things that I think are, uh, is such a great thing about the business we work in. It, it, that, is, that is beyond true. It is totally collaborative. You could underscore the word collaborative yeah. as opposed to totally. Oh, we can go. You're only as good totally. as your team, right? You really are, and and you know what? And here's the thing: on a on a level of big shows, when you're doing a really big show, yeah. you cannot afford to worry about the guy next to you or the lady next to you. Yeah, you can't. They have to be able to do their job. You have to look at them as a producer and say. I need this done, and you have total confidence that they're going to get this done, and it's going to be whatever your vision is of of the show, they're going to be able to to execute the vision, and they're going to do it the the way that you feel it should be executed. So, and and you can't, and you cannot, they're working without a net. It's live television. Everyone's working without a net. So that makes it so so challenging and so so interesting. But again, everybody has to be on the same page. And it's like it's a symbiotic thing. I used to say to the great Billy Webb, uh, the late great Billy Webb, uh, we would do do it like a great great director. Oh, great director, the best. Him and Eric Coyle, I think, the best that I ever worked with. You know, you had had Bob. And you've worked with the best there is. Well, you've had a lot of great people too. Fishman's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot oh, of great yeah. people you've worked with too. But, yeah. Yeah, but I would say, but I would say to about the fifth inning, I would say to Billy, I'd say, Billy, 
how's I would because I we should divide the truck, okay? I would yeah. take this is crazy. I would take the the talent in the booth. I would take yeah. the uh, the uh, graphics people. I would have yeah. and also handle the replace. So yeah. I have the, I would handle replace for the tape. I would have the graphics coordinators do a two of them usually on a big show. Yeah. And I would have the talent, and that so we'll call that the editorial. So Billy would handle the technical. That's a pretty big chunk. Yeah, well, it was a lot, but Billy had the technical now. He had yeah, the TD. Yeah. He had so he had the video, the audio. You know, if he's cutting the cameras, if if if, if his video audio don't work, I don't care how good the editorial is. We don't have a show, right? Yeah. So about the fifth inning, I used to, we used to play this game. So I'd say, he'd I'd say Billy, it's the fifth inning, and he'd say to me, Oh, how am I doing? I'd say, Well, let me grade you like this. My side of the truck, which has the announcers, the tape the graphics my side of the truck is great your side of the truck sucks <laughs> and, and and he and he'd actually take me seriously and the whole the, the pls were open everybody heard this in the show and it was my way of diffusing like tension if you will having sure. a little fun because if, i mean because it does get so intense and you know how intense it can be and oh, you know and if you lose that ability to to control the, the environment if you will if you lose it the people around you, you lose the show so yeah. you got to have like a little sense of humor you got to take people to a, a little lesser place you know and i i was always good at making a joke i always had like humor in me so i could i could do things and they knew me that was playful i get playful with guys yeah yeah you know I, in the middle of shows i would say it's the most outrageous things sometimes but <laughs> and things that you could say in those days but you, you can't say anymore and i am not going there either but the uh but you understand and, and better than Absolutely. most what that's all about and, and you know it, it would be great if one day we should get all the people that did the studio shows that we did with the, oh. the NFL Today and the NFL Live. Whether that yeah. you know, there's Mike Pearl and there's me and yeah. there's you and the people who've uh, you know, I guess Scott Ackerson, I guess, uh, yeah. who did it at Fox and people did it over at ESPN and, uh, and sure. get all those people. It's a small club, right? And uh, yeah. Drew Kaliski now works at CBS, does it? I, yeah. I, I'm, bl I'm blanking on the other names, but I, that's a pretty good sampling. If you got those people, put them in a room. I could only imagine the stories that would be told. But you know what? There'd be a lot of similar stories too wouldn't it that'd be great it would be we should we should work on that very yeah. entertaining i mean that that's a hell of a podcast right there uh, it really is all right so teddy there's a lot of other things here so let's get to let's get to some other things here okay um i want to talk to you about all right so you you know you leave cbs and yep. you you went out on your own and you know I mean, you you incredible i mean things that you did on your own it's it's like a, it's like a, i'm looking at this thing and i'm saying to myself the all these things are like a resume unto themselves every single one of them and it, it's like an endless list of great things and all right let's go with uh, let's go with cnbc i mean yeah. so you leave and you leave nbc I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you leave cbs and you go to, and you're, you're one of the founders of cnbc i mean to start something like that i mean that's that's an incredible thing so you got, I, was, I i wasn't a founder there i was a founder at at um, Time Warner with uh, Sports Illustrated. I remember that. I, I actually worked with you on some of those shows. Yeah, so I remember exactly. that. Exactly. So, and and yeah. we did a, uh, a whole variety of different programs that were based on um, the, the journalism at, at Sports Illustrated, um, including we, we took a story that the great writer Gary Smith did on Jim Valvano, and, and, and it was a cover story about the end, the end of his life, and and what was going on in his life, and um, we took that story and we took it to Les, Les Moonves, who was at CBS at the time, wow. and he said, "Let's make a made-for-TV movie," and um, and so we made a we made a, a, a made-for-TV movie about the the final days of of Jim Valvano. Uh, with Anthony LaPaglia as, as playing um, 
uh, playing uh, uh, mm-hmm. Valvano, Bel- right. and it, it was um, kind of an amazing experience. So um, I've been fortunate to have a bunch of different things. You know, we created the first video on demand sports app uh, at Time Warner um, uh, when the guy that was CEO of, of Time Warner, a guy named uh, Jerry Levin. Yes. You know, they created the first video on domain test. Uh, this is back in the early, no, about late 1994. Uh, and they used one of the Time Warner Cable's uh, systems in Orlando. It's called the Orlando Project. Mm-hmm. And they put it into 2,000 homes down there. Um, you know, these, these, these boxes that they made, uh, made by Scientific Atlanta, uh, cost more than a car. I mean, that's how expensive the test was. And and um, I, I remember talking to Jerry Levin and saying, because he was focused on movies, let's well, going to open movies at home, stuff like that. We're talking 30 years ago. Uh, and, and so he basically was focused on that sort of entertainment. I said, but, you know, sports is fresh every day. Um, you know, how many times are you going to buy a movie? Um, so consider sports. So he said, sure. So we ended up talking Paul Tagliabue and Pat Bolin from the NFL to be part of our test down there. And it kind of became a template for what then became websites for sports sites. And uh, so I felt, I mean, I, I've had a chance to do a whole bunch of different things. I feel very fortunate about that. You mentioned CNBC. I went there um, because it, it appeared to me to be a lot like sports. You know, the market, there's the pre-game before the market opens, then there's the game, and then there's the post-game after the market closes. So I kind of brought that sensibility to CNBC, and and that was a really interesting experience. I mean, that's your versatility, though. I mean, everything that you've talked about, that we've talked about in this podcast, speaks to your versatility, that you could do these things. Not everybody, a lot of people who are in sports, and I'm not saying you're in sports and you sort of die in sports, it's because it's a great career, and if you're fortunate enough to spend years in it that I've been in it, but sports, yeah. you know, you say, yeah, that's fine. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, you said, you said, I wonder what would happen if I ventured outside of this, if I yeah. took on another medium. I never had that real experience, but but you were able to do that. And, again, it spoke to, you, spoke to your versatility and the wow. ability that you bring to make everything better. It, it goes back to the storytelling. We storytelling, right. We talked about that. Yeah, that applies to all kinds of stuff. I mean, the, the the people, these are legendary, you work with a lot of legendary people. Do, uh-huh. do you ever sit down, legendary events, do you ever sit down once in a while? I know, because sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you can't take stock of it. But do you yeah. ever sit down and sort of reflect every once in a while and say, like, wow, I mean, I worked on, I was at the Masters, at the Super Bowl, yeah. I mean, I the, the World Series. I mean, these are like seminal things, and, and yeah. you've worked on all of them. And do you ever sit and say... Wow, I mean, this isn't about ego or anything. It's just about awareness that, like, wow, I was fortunate enough to have had that oh, experience. Do you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely, Flip. I mean, um, I, I'm grateful every day for the opportunities I got. And I am, you know, eternally thankful that I was able to um, deliver uh, enough good stuff that I could keep doing it. No, I, 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 this stuff doesn't just fall from a tree. I mean, although luck is a lot of to do with this stuff, but just to be able to have done what I've done, just, I'm eternally grateful. 
and the, and the business is eternally grateful to you as well. So oh, okay. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Mike and the Mad Doc. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you know them. Oh yeah, I know them way too well. <laughs> I know a lot about Mike and the Mad Doc. No, you you put them on a on a platform that you know a national platform. Huge. Yeah, well, we, you know, it was interesting. I was the, that was a like a George Steinbrenner thing. George Steinbrenner said to me, I was having a programming meeting with him one day, and I'm, I'm going through these things. I used to bring napkins because I read everything on napkins, yeah. right? So I brought this napkin. It's all his names on and stuff. So I had like Yankeeography. And he said, what's that? I said, yeah. like, it's a biography of Yankee players. I, I just called it a Yankeeography. I like that. I like that. That's great. That's what I want. <laughs> so I, I, I have an like an interview show. It's like inside the actor's studio, except it's with people who like sports, and it's long form, and we get an audience, and it's called Center, uh, Center State. Oh, that's, I like that. I like that. That's a great idea. So we go through it. Reruns of old Yankee games, Yankee classics, you know, etc. So we get yeah. down to the end, and I got NE, and he says to me, "What the hell is NE?" I said, "Not enough. We don't have enough programming." And he says to me, "You know, um, get those two guys." And I said, "What do you mean those two guys? Get those two guys." What guys? I, I'm sorry. He said, "Those two guys in the afternoon." And I said, "Mike and the Mad Dog." He said, "Go get them." And it was like, that's how that happened. I mean, so. That's a big deal. Oh, that was yeah. a big deal. Well, you know what it was? There was only one simulcast in the country, and that was Imus at the time. So we yeah. were the first first sports simulcast in the country. Totally. So yeah, that set, the, that did set, a, that, their template was set for, it became an industry, talk show industry. So we had yeah. a lot to do with the simulcast. We had everything to do with it. But, yeah. but I needed it at the network because we didn't have enough programming. And it gave me five and a half hours a day. We didn't do news. So this gave us a chance to address the news. And it was entertaining, today. right? Extremely. I mean, they were entertaining as could be. You know, yeah. and, and looking back, I mean, I loved Russo. Russo and I got along yeah. fine. I did not get along as well with Francesa. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a diff difficult personality on occasion. And, uh, yeah. I, mean, I had my ups and downs with it. But you, you, this, oh, tell me about so tell me about the 30 for 30. Now, you knew Mike <laughs> Francesa pretty well, right? He worked for you at, at CBS. Yeah, I hired Mike. As a researcher, um, the summer after he graduated from St. John's, and uh, he was this guy who was like a human sponge when it came to information. He could remember, and I mean, he has the most amazing mind, all this information that individual pieces of it would sound maybe trivial. But collectively, it was, like, unbelievable. And so we, we used him in, in our uh, studio for the NFL. And his knowledge became such that when Brent or whomever would, would kind of call out to the research area, which was up on the uh, upper part of the set, uh, and ask a question, the guy who would always answer the question was Mike. And then... Uh, uh, Brent kind of glommed on to Mike, and so Mike became Brent's information guy. And then we, because Jimmy the Greek was uh, uh, needed needed support uh, editorially as well, we made uh, Mike the Greek keeper, as we called him, <laughs> and he began to uh, you know show himself to be this kind of amazing talent uh, and and this enormous reservoir of information. And then eventually, this is over years, uh, hired uh, Jim Nance. Jim Nance was hired um, to do the college football studio. He was 26 years old, and he was, uh, at the time we hired him, he was working at KSL, which is in Salt Lake City, the CBS affiliate in Salt Lake City. He was the weekend sports guy. 
So he made this jump <laughs> from weekend sports guy at a local affiliate in Utah to being the host of College Football Today on the CBS network. And so what I said to Mike was, Mike, you are now, you know, if I could connect you, your wrists and ankles to Jim Pants, I would, because I want you to be with him all the time. So whenever he has a question, needs backup support, do that. And they they work so well together. They've become best of friends to this day. And And so over time... Mike was such an amazing guy. We started to put him on uh, the college basketball, I mean, on the tournament uh, set. And that turned into a, a thing where, God, you know, he was a controversial guy because he spoke truth, you know, always. And his opinions sometimes were kind of very, very strong. And, I mean, the NCAA tournament committee would begin to say to me, why is this guy on? We don't want that kind of thing. But we stayed with him. Well, and then he got the job at, at um, WFAN. And Jim Nance was, was instrumental in helping him get that. And, you know, the rest is history. They He and the Greek but, put together. I mean, right. he and the Greek. He and, uh, you know, and Mad Dog put together uh, by Mark. Um, Turn off. Mike. Turn off. Uh, oh, it's Chernoff? Okay. Uh, no, Chernoff, uh, or no, it might have been someone else. So, uh, Mason? Um, there was a guy before Chernoff. Yes, there was, and I'm blanking on who it is. You're right. First name's Mark. But anyway. Yes, uh, I'll come up. We'll come up with it. Uh, a bunch of Marks. Anyway, uh, so, uh, so. But anyway, so they become history. Mike and the Mad Dog be, totally. are, 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 you know, are, are history. And they had a, a very a very sort of famed relationship. Yeah. And they also had a lot of disagreement, and they were real like a marriage. There were their ups, and there were incredible downs in it. And they they became legendary duo for you know they they, they were freaking frack I mean they, totally. they they totally were opposite of each other but they the one they had strengths that, that one had a strength the other one had one had weaknesses the other one didn't yeah have. so they were able to sort of put that together and become historic yeah. so they and so the, the it's like a marriage but it breaks up it's over after yeah. seven or eight years it breaks up and they go their separate ways yep. and it becomes uh, you know now the the question is for history. You yeah. want to document those years at, at the yeah. fan, which were incredible. And that was you were tasked with doing that. I mean, just take us through that a little bit. Well, uh, I mean, Danny Four, mm -hmm. who's a guy I worked with at CBS Sports, who is one of the most creative producers I've ever worked with, um, he, he had done a couple of 30 for 30s for ESPN. Uh, and so we got together. He lives out in California. And we got together when he was uh, on the East Coast and had dinner. And he said that he had just been meeting with the people at ESPN 30 for 30 and um, one of the things he asked them about is, who were you looking for? What would you like to do? And and the guy that he spoke to at the time said, we're kind of fascinated with Mike and the Mad Dog and that whole phenomenon. But we no one can get them to do uh, to sit down and do a documentary. And uh, we've tried numerous times, and they always say no. So, um, so Danny and I had dinner, and he said, do you think you could get those guys to do this, to do a 30 for 30? And initially, the idea was it was going to be what they call a 30 for 30 short, which are five, you know, uh, maybe five to, to 15 minutes long. So I got together with Mike and basically laid it out. And I said to him, 
because he has young kids. Mike, uh, Mike had kids at a, at a later age. And so his kids at the time were, were I think, like seven and nine or something like that. And so um, I said, you know, Mike, your kids may not remember exactly how, how, how influential and important you were, um, you know, to the New York sports team. And, and how you and Chris kind of established a whole new genre in, 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 in sports talk. Um, and so someday, if we do this documentary, they'll be able to look at this and say, wow, this is what my father did. And he said, I'm in. <laughs> wow. Legacy. Uh, Legacy piece. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, and then did the same thing with Chris. And, and they were both on board. And so Danny and I started to put this together. We thought, you know, a short might be too short. And we began to pitch them something longer. Another guy was introduced by the 30 for 30 people, who's going to be a, our editor, a guy named Mario Diaz, also a Los Angelite. And, and so the three of us began to put together what we could do. And because Mario was so well respected and trusted by the 30, 30 people, he went to them and said, this is an hour. You really guys, you guys should really do an hour. So they said, okay. And that's how it, that's, that's amazing. how it happened. You know, I, I, what's amazing to me is that why, I don't know how you even did it in an hour. There was so much material. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I just, even the yes part, even the yes part could have been five hours. I mean, oh, and, I mean you know, it, you were great in it. You were great. I, I had a little cameo. It was it was fine. I enjoyed yeah, it. I, good. I had a good time with him. But the uh, the I mean the I the whole idea of this and and what it meant when this debuted. Okay, yeah. uh, I remember sitting. It was was Tribeca Film Festival. Is that yeah? What you were? I mean, go figure that. Out. How did the How world that? that and but you know what? It, it was one of the headline. It was one of the headline shows, and it got a standing ovation when it was done. It was amazing. It was amazing, and because you actually were able to put the, the the arc of them together, which is really hard to do. They're really tough individuals. Yeah. What they accomplished was great, but really sometimes hard to document in in a short period of time. And you guys yeah. managed to, to sort of get this thing together, sort of get to the, the essence of it, yeah. and make it work without people feeling that there was some chapters that were omitted. That's yeah. a really hard thing to do. And you guys told the story. Again, storytelling, here we go. You know, well, you guys told is. the story. You did a great job with it. But, it, you know, and you know, I mean, you're a master, you're a master showman. You are. And and so what you know as well as I do is you want them wanting more. Totally. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it's all about giving them enough that they want maybe a little bit more, but they don't want to, they they're not looking at their watch saying, when is this going to end? Well, it, it was incredible, and it got great reviews. And, You're very kind. And a lot of people really enjoyed it. So that was some wonderful work. I, in closing, I have, I have a final question for you, okay? Yep. If you, what, all that you've done and all that you've worked on, yep. if there was one event, one uh, one one thing that you've seen over the, the, the years that have followed, that you could say, God, I wish I was in a truck for, I wish I produced, or I wish I had a hand in, because uh, it, was, it was historic, it was great, it was, I just wish I was there for that. Give me one. Tiger, I'm sorry. you know, do Tiger Woods, you know, has done it. Oh, well, you know the thing, you know the, the one of the most memorable events I ever did. This is one. This is what I did. I was part of. Mm -hmm. 
if I may use that. Sure. Uh, in 1986, God, I'm dating myself, you know. But I'm really old. Anyway, the... the You've had worse dates. You know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to date yourself. In, in 1986, at, at Augusta, the Masters, on the Sunday afternoon, the final round, when Jack Nicklaus, at the age of, I don't know what he was, 46 or something mm-hmm. like right. that, when he began a run in the, in the back nine and began to make his way to the top of the leaderboard at an age no one thought there's any chance he's ever going to do this again, let alone at Augusta, he begins to make this, I mean, mon- monumental charge up. And I remember being there that day and thinking the sounds, Augusta is an amazing place, Augusta National, uh, and, and uh, a lot of rolling hills and huge pine trees and stuff like that, and thousands it's, of, it's they call them, patrons on the, you know, around the course. Mm-hmm. And everyone started to follow Nicholas on the back nine. So there were tens of thousands of people on the move going around with him. And I remember thinking, when he would be making these birdies and these other amazing shots, that the sounds I was hearing from the from the gallery were the loudest I'd ever heard anywhere. You know, and when you go to Madison Square Garden to a game, you know, and the Rangers are, 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 are playing well or whatever, or the Knicks are playing well, which may have been from a different era. But anyway, <laughs> the you know, the sounds at Madison Square Garden I always thought were louder than anything I'd ever heard until I heard that day at Augusta when Jack Nicklaus won his last Masters. And the sounds of the gallery are something I will never forget because it was just enormous bouncing off these hills and these pine trees and stuff. I'll never forget that. I, you know, it's it's incredible. I uh, I recall it not obviously to the depth that yeah. you do, but uh, but I, it, because it was part of your much more part of your life. Yeah. Those are great moments. Uh, you know, I, I, I was uh, you know Tiger this year at the Masters was pretty incredible. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, I I don't know. You know, it's a hard, it's a really hard question. That's why I asked it, Teddy. It was the easy yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, it's okay. It's at the scale of questions from one to ten, it's about an eight. You know, it's okay. We'll give it an eight. Uh, it's not a bad question. But, you know, because it's thought-provoking. And when you have someone totally. who's done what you've done, I mean, it's, it's challenging because you have to say, well, how do I pick one? I mean, I worked on this, 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 this. It's not easy to do. But, you know, but anyway, that, that's pretty incredible, Teddy. You've had an incredible career. That's an incredible moment. And it's a very challenging question. That you answered it really, really well. I appreciate it. Well, oh, well the, the brevity, uh, well, that's, that's there was no brevity there. But, you know what? <laughs> it was a great question. It was a better answer. So, you know, Thank you. that was terrific. But in closing, I have to ask you, because I'm going to reverse engineer this. Yeah. Uh, I do that with my friends. I have to reverse engineer Thank these because I forget things. What are you doing now? I mean, get yourself on your company and all that you're yeah. involved in right now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for asking that. Uh, I'm part of a group. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm part of a group that creates content. Um, it's called Encourage with an I. I-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E. Encourage.com. I. Um and it provides evidence-based solutions to help young athletes and adults improve the culture of youth sports. Because seven out of 10 kids are quitting playing organized sports, seven out of 10, by the time they're 13, and they're getting out of organized sports because it's no fun anymore. 
And so this is a tragedy, you know? I mean, kids, they should be active. They should love playing the game, you know? But it's become this professionalization, you know, where, where you know, you, parents think if they, if, if they have their kids play the same sport 12 months a year and they pay for private coaching or they pay for, you know, the uh, travel leagues, you know, for-profit travel leagues, uh, you know, it, 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 the average parents are paying per month per kid is 500 bucks for this for-profit youth sports stuff. And, and what's happening is um, parents then look for a return on investment. They expect, well, if I'm spending this money, my kid is going to get a scholarship to college, you know, and then probably maybe even become a pro. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. And so what happens is the parents put so much pressure on their kids to, to perform, and they make them play the same sport 12 months a year, which causes over-specialization injuries. And kids say, I don't want to play anymore. It's no fun. My parents are in the stands screaming at the officials or they're screaming at me or they're, you know. And so what we've done is we've created a business where we create videos and blogs and playbooks uh, which deal with these different issues on how we talk to each other. And some are focused on young athletes, some are focused on, on coaches and educators, and some are focused on parents. And so what we're trying to do is create a more positive culture in youth sports so kids will keep playing because it's fun and it's good for their physical and mental health, and that's what we're doing. That's and terrific. we have that's partnerships with the New York Giants are a partner of ours, with John Mara. God bless him. Uh, we, have a, we, we are providing materials to Nike in China. What they're doing is, is, is using our videos to try to teach their coaches how to better communicate with kids and parents. Uh, we have, you know, it's, this, is, this to me is the most important thing in my life is to try to make this thing come to life. And so we're, we provide all of it for free so that, you know, a high school in Bridgeport, Connecticut gets the same access to this stuff that Greenwich High School gets. Um, and so we're now in the process of looking for more funding uh, so that we can continue to do this work. And so what basically has happened is people like Dr. Carissa Niehoff, who is the executive director of the National Federation of High Schools, which is 19,000 high schools across the country, after she sees our video, she said these should be seen at every school in the country. So we're we're pushing and trying to how, make this work. How do our listeners, how could we help? How is there a number? Oh, is there a uh, website we can go to? Is there uh, some some information so people can get more information about what sure. you're involved with? Encourage dot com. Well, that begins with an I. I n c o u r a g e dot com has all our materials on on it on its website on our website. That's great. And and um, so please go there. Sign up for our blog. Uh, we always are looking for feedback, and we're always looking for people who want to support us with funding uh, so that we can we can get deeper and wider across the country with well, I'm going to do, and now around the world. I'm going to do both. I'm, we're, we're, God I, bless. I, I, Thank I won't, you. I won't do it right now because I have to finish this show, but when we finish this show... We, we I, take uh, credit cards. No, that's fine. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, Teddy, you've always worked, Bob, someone... 
deeply involved in, in social causes and, and the betterment My of God. people. And, and no, you, you do more than try. You've succeeded, and get a lot of credit for that as well. We really appreciate thank the time you, you gave us this afternoon. Thank and, uh, you. Thank you so much for being a guest. You're a really good guest, and uh, uh, you know, and I look forward to uh, the next uh, dinner we share. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Flip. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Teddy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. See you. Bye.